Please turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis. Today we are going to look at the book of beginnings and we're going to begin a series on the book of Genesis. Now, Genesis is a long book. It is, of course, the first book of the Bible. Um, and there is a lot of stuff within Genesis to learn, to see, to apply to our lives. I am going to attempt to do this kind of in big chunks. I'm going to attempt to do a series on the book of Genesis that covers large stories. There are a few times we're going to have to stop and look at just kind of individual doctrines as they are presented. You know, we're going to look and see what it looks like that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But for the most part, as we go through the book of Genesis, we're going to do it in large chunks. Now, what that means is two things. I may have to talk very fast in order to get us through some of these large chunks in one Sunday. It also means that if I have to talk fast and there's a lot in a passage, you may be drinking from a fire hose as we go through looking at the Word of God. But um, today will probably be one of those days where we are just going to pack a lot of information into a sermon. But I want us to see the reason I want to do it in this way is I kind of want us to see the big picture. Oftentimes, as we look at books and as we go through verse by verse or or phrase by phrase, we can lose the forest for the trees, so to speak. And so my goal today, as we look at creation, is to hopefully see the whole forest and not just individual trees within those forests. The trees are important. Don't get me wrong. But I want us to kind of see the big picture of the story that Genesis lays out for us. So today we do begin in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and we will read through Genesis 2, verse 3. Here is the word of the Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered the water and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. 
And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters in the sea and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, as we turn toward your word, show us who you are. Show us who we are. Show us what creation is. And Lord, help us to see your glory and be changed by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned a few moments ago, Genesis is a book of beginnings. In fact, both in Greek and Hebrew, that is what the word that is translated for us, Genesis, means. Is It means beginning. The book opens with the phrase, in the beginning, and then it goes on to lay the foundation. It shows us the beginning of earth and humanity. It shows us the beginning of sin and fallenness in our world. It shows us the beginning of God's plan for blessing the world. And of course, it shows us the beginning of God's chosen people. Genesis was originally written by Moses to the Israelites, either before they had been freed from slavery by the work of God, as we see in the book of Exodus, or right after they had been freed from slavery by the work of God. And the main purpose for the section that we see today, or the main purpose, excuse me, we'll jump back to the big purpose. The main purpose of Genesis is to tell the Israelites who they were in God's world. They were God's chosen people. But even before they were God's chosen people, we see today 
that Moses, God through Moses, focuses in this prologue to the book of Genesis on who humanity is. We know that humanity is the focus of this passage because compared to the other things created by God, God gives the most words through Moses to the creation of humanity. We'll see that the creation of humanity was a personal creation where he says, let us rather than let there be, as he did for all other aspects of creation. We'll see the importance of humanity and the the main goal of this section is to show us what humanity is in comparison, in contrast to other views from other pagan cultures of humanity. Now, before we jump into what God teaches us about himself, about creation and about humanity in this particular section of the scriptures, we do need to touch briefly on the question of origins. The the view of origins presented here in Genesis chapter one is very different from what the rest of the world teaches us. In fact, the world today has a tendency to believe the truth of, quote, science or the, quote, truth of science. And that we as humans are nothing more than accidents of nature. Goo that became intelligent or lucky, as one commentator puts it. But we have to understand that Scripture presents a different story. And Scripture presents, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, there is a lot of scientific evidence out there for the fact that God created the heavens and the earth, and he did it rather recently, comparatively recently, not recently like yesterday, but recently within the last several thousand years. Is Genesis History is a, is a documentary that is out and is available. If you'd like to borrow it, I, I have a copy of it. That will take about two hours to go through a lot of these scientific evidences. If you'd like to go more in-depth, Institute for Creation Research, icr.org, or Creation Ministries International, creation.org, or answersingenesis.org are excellent websites to go to. But as you look at the scientific evidence for creation, I want you to keep one thing in mind. Several years ago, I picked up a book called The Genesis Flood. It's actually written by the man who founded the Institute for Creation Research. And the back of the book talks about how it's going to go through the geologic evidence for the flood. The Genesis Flood is found in Genesis 6 through 9. But the first quarter to the third of the book is scripture proofs for the Genesis Flood. And I found myself reading it going, God, I'm sure there's somebody out there that needs these scripture proofs, but can we hurry up and get on to the scientific stuff? Because that's what's really important. And as soon as I said that in my mind, God goes, you're the one who needs the scripture proofs. Because God's inspired word is true. And God's inspired word does not confirm science. God's inspired word, science confirms God's inspired word. Because all I need to know is in the beginning, God, not in the beginning, a big bang, not in the beginning, an accident in the beginning, God. And so as we look at the claims of scripture, we must remember that they are the inspired words of God and they are therefore true. And they are therefore trustworthy and they are therefore antagonistic and contradictory to all opposing views of creation and the world. 
So other than in the beginning, God, what do we learn today from Genesis chapter one? We learn what this we're going to look at, what this passage teaches us about God, what this passage teaches us about creation and what this passage teaches us about humans and humanity. First, what does this passage teach us about God? We've already touched on this, but God created everything in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, we don't know at what point we jump into this story. We know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then, boom, we jump to this place where the earth exists, but it's formless and empty. It is hostile to life. Life could not exist in this primordial planet called earth as we find it in Genesis 2 and 3. And so God is going to do the work. Bruce Waltke says God steps creatively into the primordial abyss and darkness to transform it into a magnificent, ordered and balanced universe. How does God do this? He does this by answering the problem of formless and empty. He creates form out of the formless and he fills the empty. We see this in the pattern here. We have two sets of three days. The first three days, God forms the formless. The second three days, he fills the empty. So darkness ruled over the earth. What did God do on the first day? Light. What did he do on the fourth day? Sun, moon and stars. So he created a realm of light and he filled it. On the second day, what does God do? He speaks into the existence out of the formlessness of the sky and the sea. He forms the sky and the sea. What does he do on day five? Fills the sea with fish, fills the sky with birds, the form and the filling. And finally, on day three, God speaks into existence, the realm of dry land. He forms dry land out of the formlessness of the sea. And on day six, he fills that realm with animals. And with humanity, God addresses the problem of formless and empty in creation. And as we look at that, we see three things about God. The first thing we see about God is that he is preexistent to everything. He is infinite and eternal. God has no beginning and no end. God began the earth. He existed before the earth. John puts it this way in Revelation 4, 8. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. God is eternal. And we see this here in Genesis 1, 1, as we look at the fact that in the beginning, God created. We also see God's power in this passage. What is this constant theme we see in the book of Genesis chapter 1? God said, and it happened. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let this happen, and this happened. God said, let that happen, and that happened. God's word is powerful. God is a God of power. We also see in this that while the formless and empty world was marked by water and darkness, God worked those things into his creation. We still have water, do we not? <clears throat> We still have darkness, do we not? We know from the book of Revelation that those things will end one of these days. God will be our light. Jesus will be our light. 
And the only water we will need, there will be no more seas. The living water will flow from the throne of God. But for now, this world of life, God has worked into it darkness and water. We see God's power in what he created. Other ancient Near East cultures, specifically the Egyptian culture that the Israelites would have come out of, worshipped things like the sun, the moon, the stars, the animals. What does Moses say here? What does God through Moses say about the sun, the moon, and stars, and the animals? They were created by God. The Egyptians and some of the Israelites, many of the Israelites throughout their battles with God in the 40 years in the deserts and also their battles with God throughout their time in the promised land, worshipped things that God said he created. Can you, you see the irony in that? That you know we deny God's existence, but we worship what he creates. We worship. Science is a worship of nature because nature gives us all the answers. We know that God gives us all the answers, but we have a tendency, as I said before, we turn to science for the answers. We see God's power in what he created. So we see God's preexistence. We see God's power. And we see a God who completes. We see a God who finishes. The last verse of chapter 1 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. This word completed, when the Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek sometime before Jesus came, the, the Greek word that is used here shows up again in the New Testament. It is finished. God is a God who completes. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, the God who began a good work in you will see it to completion. When we read the fact that God finishes creation, we should take comfort in the fact that our salvation will be finished as well. Our sanctification will be seen through to completion. And the promises that we are given that we will live in heaven with him eternally will be completed as well. So what do we learn about God? We learn that he's preexistent. We learn that he's powerful. And we learn that he is a God who completes. But we also learn some, several things about creation in this passage also. The first thing we learn about creation is is words that, that are used over and over again. It was good. Seven times we are told it was good in the book, in this first chapter of the book of Genesis. Good means that something fulfills God's intended purpose. God created light to bring form out of the formlessness of darkness, and light formed the problem of formlessness in relationship to darkness. God filled the emptiness of the pre-creation world. Everything that God did fulfilled the purpose that God had for it. Even humanity for a brief period of time before the fall. And so creation was good because it fulfilled what God wanted it to do. And secondly, we see that creation is ordered. Creation is not chaotic. Creation is not an accident. Creation is ordered. You see flowers with these very mathematical, precise layout of their petals. We see God's order in that. We see boundaries within the world. We'll talk a little bit more about boundaries in the world next week when we look at the, the institution of marriage. But the sea can only go so far. God has marked as far as the sea will go upon the dry land. Things were created according to their kinds. 
An apple tree produces apples. Dandelions produce dandelions. You're never going to see cherries on a blackberry bush because they are ordered according to their kinds. Now, kind, for those of you that are biologically minded as far as classification, kind probably falls somewhere along the line of family. You know, we have several thousand different breeds of domesticated dogs. We can really genetically trace them back to one type of dog. And so that's what God would have created. Humanity has taken that one type of dog and we have made all the different domesticated dogs that we have through a process of breeding. But the kind was that one dog. So we learn about creation. We also learn about humanity. And this is where I'm going to rest for a few minutes. I know I've been talking fast. I know I've given you a lot, but we're going to rest on the creation of humanity. The first thing we see about the creation of humanity is that it was done personally. There's kind of this third person working out of creation. Let there be light. Let there be sea. Let there be land. Let there be animals. But when we come to the creation of man, we see that it's a personal event for God. Because he says, let us create man. We see the plurality of God. We could even look at the triunity of God in this passage, but we won't today. But we see that God personally entered in to create humanity, and he gives them this title. This title that's confusing at times. This title is called the image of God. And there have been different things about humanity that people have said is the image of God. It's our ability to rationalize and to reason. Well, other animals have a, a rudimentary ability to rationalize and reason. Well, it's, it's our ability to think deep thoughts. Well, we've seen that even elephants have the ability sometimes to think deep thoughts. And so we have this question about what it means to be the image of God. And in short, everything we are resembles and represents God in our world. An image in the ancient Near East and the context of what this book was written would have been a three-dimensional figure or statue. Imagine if you lived in a city in Egypt that was far removed by distance from the capital city. There would be a statue of the Pharaoh in the city square to remind you of who ruled over you. It was an image. But beyond that statue, you would have little statues in your home that were probably made of clay. Would have been very fragile. And so an image would have been this clay, this image, this statue of clay that you would have in your home to remind you who was in charge. To remind you who the king was. And you would unfortunately worship this image. You would uh, hold this image at times. And because it was made out of clay, we've all had those, those clay pots, those terracotta pots that you get from uh, Lowe's and Home Depot to plant your plants in. You drop them once they're gone. And so you would chuck the image out the window and you'd go get you a new one. So image reminds us that we, number one, should be humble. We're fragile. God used clay to build Adam. To put Adam together. And even in pre-fall, humanity was somewhat fragile. And so it leads us to humility. But we're not only an image, we're an image of God. In the same context that this word image comes out of, only Pharaoh was the image of God. In fact, when Pharaoh died, it was more than likely they believed that he became a God himself. What does Moses, what does God through Moses tell the Israelites? Hey, it's not just Pharaoh who's the image of God. All of you are the image of God. 
And so not only does the image of God bring with it the idea of humility, but it also brings with it the idea of dignity and importance and glory. Psalm 8 describes it this way. He says, when I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and you crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim in the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How do we know the Lord's name is majestic in all the earth? Because we look at each other. We see each other. We see the glorious image of God when we look at fellow human beings. How do we know that God hears the pleas and the cries of the desperate? Because he gave us ears to hear. How do we know that God sees the injustice on this earth? Because he gave us eyes to see. How do we know that God speaks into this world his truth, his beauty, and his goodness? Because he's given us mouths to speak. Everything we are, whether it is our creativity, whether it is our rational thought, whether it is our mathematic skill, whether it is our skill in raising children, should point us to the glory of God in each and every one of us. And thanks be to God, he made us different because we see God's variety. We see God's humor sometimes. G.K. Chesterton said, one of these days, just sit down and look at the human nose and you will see God's sense of humor. Consider the human nose and you will see God's sense of humor. God has made us his image and he has given us two jobs as his image, multiplication and dominion. Where do we see multiplication? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Those three commands right there. That is our first part of our creation mandate. Adam and Eve were told to make babies. Adam and Eve were told to make children so that God's glory could fill the earth. There's a sociological statistic that for every, I think it's for every married couple or for every person in a country that there has to be at least 2.1 children born for every culture for just for that culture's population level to maintain even our cultures drop down below about 1.8 1.7 the only reason we have population growth in america is because of immigration legal or illegal if it were not for that we would actually be declining in population in the united states god says fill the world with other little baby images that grow up to be adult images and continue to fill the world. But Jesus changes that. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, God blesses the work of the disciples and he says, filling and multiplication is not only a physical act, it's a spiritual act because the image is broken and needs to be renewed. And it is only renewed through the power of the gospel. We also see that we are called to have dominion, subdue the earth and rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, all of creation. This means we're to faithfully steward what God has given to us. We should be a little bit environmental, folks. We should care a little bit about trees and coal mining and things like that. And I know that hurts for many of us to hear because we are to be faithful stewards of what God has given us in this world. 
We're not to worship creation. We've already talked a little bit about that. We're to worship God. But we should faithfully steward what we have been given. So God created us as his image. He blessed us to accomplish the creation mandate. It says several times in Genesis 1 that God blessed the animals. He blessed the plants. He blessed humanity. Blessing in this means that he gave us the potency for life. This will come into play next week as well, so we'll talk a little bit more about it then. And he created us in space and time. We're created as the image of God. We are blessed by God to fulfill the creation mandate, and we are given the mandate over both space and time. Space. We are to subdue the earth and rule it. Faithfully steward the earth. But, you know, he gave us the Sabbath as well. We're supposed to faithfully steward our time. The Sabbath reminds us that God is the creator. The Sabbath reminds us that God is to be worshipped, but it also reminds us that we're to use our time well. I had to get a new computer this week. My old one broke while, uh, before we left on vacation. And every new Windows computer comes with this really horrible program called Solitaire. And why is it a horrible program? Because when I'm bored or stumped on something in my office, I'm just going to click it and play it for about two or three minutes till my mind gets going. And then at 5 o'clock that afternoon, when I started at 1.30, it's time to go home. I have to delete that program off any Windows computer I buy because that controls my time, not me, if I don't leave it there. I have, no, I have one game on my phone, and it's boring, and I don't play it a lot, so I leave it there because that will control my time. That will subdue my time instead of me. And when I stop to rest on the Lord's day, when I stop to worship on the Lord's day, it reminds me that I am called to subdue my time. I am called to have dominion over my time. Why? Because God has dominion over time and I am his image and created in his image. So humanity is the image of God. Humanity is blessed by God to accomplish everything it has been given to do. And humanity is created in space and time. I want us to see just a few applications of this in our life, of these realities in our life as we move forward. As humans, our tendency since the fall came into the world, since sin entered the world through Adam and Eve's sin, our tendency, as I mentioned a moment ago, is to worship creation. I mentioned that we should be environmental stewards, but we have a tendency to go too far in that, do we not? We have, we call them tree huggers. We use that term derogatively because they love nature. They worship nature and all of humanity needs to step away from any type of progress because it destroys nature. The sad thing about this is, is they will, they, will, they will put nature over above humanity. The same people that protest the removal of a forest will protest the safety of an unborn child. They worship nature so much that they have moved humanity down to a disposable commodity because they wish to preserve nature. The goodness of creation and our mandate also lead us away from the opposite extreme. We are not to worship creation, but we are also not to be arrogant about creation. It should hurt us when a business comes in and removes the top of a mountain for some coal. It should hurt us when Creeks and rivers are destroyed for lumber and timber 
or some other natural resource. We should not be so arrogant as to think, hey, I have dominion over the earth. I can destroy it if I want to. No, the creation mandate, the fact that God created and creation was good, leads us to a balance. We avoid worship, but we also avoid arrogance. But creation reminds us specifically about something about ourselves. Each and every one of us in this room, each and every one of us in our community, each and every one of us in our state, in our country, in our world, every human that ever has been conceived, every human that ever will be conceived is the image of God. It has dignity. It has importance. Every human being to ever exist is important to God because they represent him. That means the handicapped represent God. It means other races represent God. We had a couple years ago at Senate, they, they presented a report on the ARP's role in slavery. We are a Southern denomination. What was the ARP's role in chattel slavery in the United States? The good news was that as a denomination, we said chattel slavery is bad. It's horrible. It is against scripture. The bad news is for those who sat in churches and practiced it, who owned slaves, were never brought under the discipline of the church. And that's a tacit agreement with subjugating the image of God. There's a, a video out recently I've seen that says no human civilization has ever been built except on the backs of slaves. That's a stench to the nose of God because we are the image of God. But you know what else we need to remember? I'm the image of God. Each and every one of us needs to look in the mirror and say, I am the image of God. Satan tries to steal that from us. What Satan says to us is, you know what? You're a failure. God could think nothing less of you than he does right now. You're a sinner. You say bad things to your wife. You say bad things to your friends. You sin and, and God hates you. You're not God's image. You're dirt. We are dirt, but we are God's image. And you and I need to remember that in the darkest of those nights, when we feel like something less than human, when we feel like something less than loved by God. What form did God take when he sent his son to this earth? The form of a human. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. He is the perfect image of God. He is the only means by which we may have the image of God remade in us. But it reminds us that we are glorious to him. It reminds us that we represent him and it reminds us that he loves us because we reflect him and we represent him in this world. Brothers and sisters, worship God for creation. And when I look at you, I should worship God. I should worship God because he hears my prayers. I should worship God because he sees my life. And yes, I'm sorry, but I should worship God because he has a sense of humor. When I look at you, know God. Worship him and love him because you are his image. You have humility and dignity all wrapped up in one package. Let us pray. Our gracious and holy Lord, remind us of the glory we have. Help us to worship you instead of your creation. And help us to know that we represent you in this world. And when we look at ourselves, when we look at our fellow human beings, help us to see your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.